Okay. I just started it. Oh, so okay. We're starting a new story. It's called The Black Nosed Buddha. What page is it on? It is page. Oh, there's no page number. It's 168. 168. So this is the book No Water, No Moon. Yeah. All right. So here's the Zen story Black Nosed Buddha. A nun who was searching for enlightenment made a wooden statue of Buddha and covered it with gold leaf. It was very pretty, and she carried it with her wherever she went. Years passed, and still carrying her Buddha, the nun settled down in a small country temple where there were many statues of Buddha, each having its own shrine. The nun burned incense before her golden Buddha each day, but not liking the idea of her perfume straying to the other statues, she devised a funnel through which the smoke would ascend to her statue only. This blackened the nose of the golden statue and made it especially ugly. That's the story. That's funny. I know. Hold on. One second. So, the black-nosed Buddha. One of the greatest problems that is bound to face everybody who is traveling the path is to make a clear-cut distinction between love and attachment. They appear the same, they are not. They look alike, they are not. Rather, on the contrary, even hate is more similar to love than attachment. Attachment is just the contrary. It hides the reality of hatred and gives the appearance of love. It kills love. Nothing else can be so poisonous as attachment, as possessiveness. So try to understand this, then we can enter this beautiful story. It has happened to many, it has happened to you, because mind is so confused between love and attachment. And those who look at things from the outside, they always become victims. Attachment is taken as if it is love. And once you have taken attachment, possessiveness as love, you will always go on missing the real thing. A false coin you have chosen. Now you will not look for the real coin because you think this is the real. You have been deceived. Possessiveness, attachment, is the false love. Hatred is better because at least it is true. At least it is a fact. And hatred can become love any day. But possessiveness can never become love. You have simply to drop it to grow into love. Why attachment appears like love? And what is the difference? The mechanism is subtle. Love means that you are ready to merge yourself into the other. It is a death, the deepest death possible the deepest abyss possible in which you can fall and go on falling and falling. And there is no end to it. There is no bottom to it. It is an eternal falling into the other. It never ends. To love means the other has become so significant that you can lose yourself. Love is surrender, unconditional, because if there is even a single condition, then you are important, not the other. Then you are the center, not the other. And if you are the center, the other is just a means. You are using the other, exploiting the other, finding satisfaction, gratification through the other. But you are the goal. And love says, make the end the other and dissolve and merge. It is a dying phenomenon, a death process. That's why people are afraid of love. You may talk about it, you may sing about it, but deep down you are afraid of love. You never enter into it. All your poetries, all your songs about love are just substitutes so that you can sing without entering into it, so that you can feel that you are living without loving. And love is such a deep need that you cannot live without it. 
Either the real or some substitute is needed. The substitute may be false, but at least for a time, for the time being, it gives you the feeling that you are in love. And even the false is enjoyed. Sooner or later, you will realize that it is false. Then you are not going to change the false love into real love. Then you will change the lover or the beloved. There are the two possibilities. These are the two possibilities. When you come to know that this love is false, you can change. You can drop this false love and become a real lover. The other possibility is to change the partner. And this is how your mind functions. Whenever you feel that this is this love has not given me the bliss it promised, rather on the contrary, I have become more miserable, you think the other is deceiving, that you are not, sorry, not that you are deceiving. Nobody can deceive you except yourself. So you feel the other is deceiving. The other is responsible. Change the wife, change the husband, change the master, change the God. Move from Buddha's temple to Mahavira's temple. Change your religion, change your prayer. Don't go to the mosque, go to the church, change the other. Then for a time again, you will have the feeling that you are in love, in prayer. But sooner or later, again the false will be known because it cannot satisfy. You can befool yourself, but how long can one befool oneself? Then again, you have to change the other. If you come to realize the other is not the problem, that your love is false, you have been talking about it, you have not been doing anything to enter into it, you are afraid and scared. Love is death-like, and if you are afraid of death, you will be afraid of love also. In death, only your body dies. The essential, the ego, that looks essential to you remains safe. The mind that appears significant to you is carried on further into another life. Your inner identity remains the same. Only the outer garb, the clothes, change in death. So death is, very, is never very deep. It is just superficial. And if you are afraid of death, how can you be ready to enter into love? Because in love, not only the garb, not only the house, but you die. The mind, the ego dies. The fear of death becomes the fear of love. And the fear of love becomes the fear of prayer, meditation. These three things are similar, death, love, meditation. And the root is the same, but you have to pass. If you have never loved, you cannot pray. You cannot do meditation. And if you have never loved and meditated, you will miss the beautiful experience of death completely. If you have loved, then death is such a beautiful and intense experience that you cannot compare it with anything in life. Life can never be so deep as death because life is spread out on 70, 80 years. Death is in a single moment, so intense. Life can never be so intense. And death is the culmination. It is not the end. It is the culmination, the very peak. The whole life you have been making effort to reach it. And what stupidity. When you reach to the peak, you are so afraid. You feel so dizzy. You close your eyes. You become so scared that you become unconscious. People die. They die in an unconscious state. They miss the experience. So love can be helpful because love will prepare you for death. And love will prepare you for meditation also. In meditation, you have to lose. The other is not there. You have to simply lose yourself. Love is deeper than death. Meditation is even deeper than love because the other is still there in love. You have something to cling, and when you can cling, 
something of you survives, but in meditation there is no other. That is why Buddha, Mahavira, and Latsu, they deny the existence of God. Why? They very well know God is, but they deny the existence so that you have no support left for meditation. If the other is there, your meditation can become at the most love, devotion, but the total death is still not experienced. Total death is possible only when there is no other, and you simply dissolve, you simply evaporate. There is nobody to cling to. Then happens the great ecstasy. The word ecstasy is very meaningful. This English word ecstasy is so beautiful and so significant, no other language has such a word. Ecstasy means to stand outside. Ecstasy means you are dead completely and you are standing outside yourself and looking at this death as if your whole existence has become a corpse. You are out of it and looking at your own death. Then the supreme bliss happens. If I say to you, you will be scared. If I say to you that you are in search of the supreme death, you will be scared, but you are in, super in search of it. The whole religion is the art of learning how to die. Love means death, but attachment is not death. Love means the other has become so significant you can dissolve yourself. You trust the other so much that you need not have your own mind. You can put it aside. This is why people say love is mad and people say love is blind. It is. Not that your eyes go blind, but when you put your ego aside, your mind aside, for everybody else, you will look blind and mad. This is the state of madness. You are not thinking on your own. You trust the other so much that now there is no need to think, because thinking is needed if there is doubt. Doubt creates thinking. Doubt is the base of thinking. If you cannot doubt, thinking stops. If you cannot think, where is the ego, how the ego can stand, that is why ego always doubts things, never trusts. If you trust, no ego appears, the ego is gone. Hence the insistence of all religions that only through faith and trust and love will you enter the temple of the divine. There is no other door to it. Through doubt you cannot enter, because through doubt you remain. In trust you are lost. Love is a trust, dissolving of the ego. The center moves to the other. The other becomes so significant, your very life, your very being, not even a flicker of doubt comes to you. It is so peaceful, so beautiful, that not a flicker of doubt comes to you, not a ripple in the mind. Trust is complete, perfect. In that perfect trust, there is a beautitude, a blessing. Even if you think about it, you will have a small glimpse of it, what it can be. But if you feel it, it is tremendous. There is nothing like it, but the ego creates a false trick. Instead of love, it gives you attachment, possessiveness. Love says, be possessed by the other. Ego says, possess the other. Love says, dissolve into the other. Ego says, let the other yield to you. Force the other to be yours. Don't allow the other to move in freedom. Cut the other's freedom. Let him become your periphery, your shadow. Love gives life to the other. Possessiveness, attachment, kills the other, takes the life of the other. That is why lovers, so-called lovers, always kill each other. They are poisonous. Look at a husband and a wife. Someday they were lovers. They thought they were lovers, and then they started killing each other. Now they are two dead persons. They have become imprisonment for each other. 
They are simply afraid and bored, scared of the other. Once it happened. In a circus, there was a woman lion tamer, and fiercest lions were in her perfect control. She will order them, and they will obey. And the greatest thing, when everybody's breathing will stop, was when the fiercest lion will be ordered to come near, and he will come, and the lion tamer, the woman, will have a piece of sugar on her tongue, and the lion will come and taste the sugar from her mouth. Everybody will go mad. So much excitement, everybody will clap and show their appreciation. One day, Mulalet Nazrudin was there. Everybody clapped, but he was not moved at all. He said, nothing, anybody can do that. The woman, the lion tamer, looked scornfully at him and said, can you do it? He said, yes, anybody can do it, as the lion can do it. Man is so afraid of woman, and this is through the experience of love. Love, the so-called love, kills each other. Otherwise, why is this world so ugly? So many lovers, everybody is a lover. The husband loving the wife, the wife loving the husband, the parents loving the children, the children loving the parents, and friends and everybody, relatives, the whole world is in love. So much love and so much ugliness, so much misery. Somewhere something think, something seems to have gone deeply wrong in the very root. This is not love, otherwise fear disappears. The more you love, the less you fear. When love really comes to its totality, there is no fear. But in possessiveness, fear goes on growing more and more. Because when you possess a person, you are always afraid he may leave you, he may go away. And the doubt is always there. The husband is always doubting. The wife may love somebody else. They become spies on each other and they cut each other's freedom. So there is no possibility. But when you cut freedom, when you cut the possibility of the unknown, life becomes dead, stale. Everything becomes flat, meaningless, a boredom, a monotone. And the more it happens, the more you become possessive. When life is ebbing, when the love is going, when something is going out of your hands, you become more possessive, more clinging. You become more protective. You create more walls and more prisons. This is the vicious circle. The more prisons, the less life there will be. You will be more afraid that something is happening and love is disappearing, so create a bigger prison. Then love will disappear more. Then a still bigger prison will be needed. And there are many subtle methods how to do it. Jealousy, continuous jealousy, and possessiveness to such an extent that the other remains no more a person. The other becomes just a thing, a commodity, because a thing can be possessed easier than a person. Because a thing cannot rebel, cannot disobey, cannot go away without your permission, cannot fall in love with somebody else. When love becomes a frustration, and it will become a frustration because it is not love, then you by and by start loving things. Look at people when they polish their cars the way they look at their car, enchanted. Look at the romantic light that comes to their face when they look at their car. They are in love with their car. In the West particularly, where love has been killed completely, people are in love with things or animals, dogs, cats, cars, houses. It is easier to love a thing or an animal. A dog is more faithful than a wife ever can be. You cannot find more faithful an animal like a dog. He remains faithful. There is no danger. A wife is dangerous. A husband is dangerous. 
Any moment he can move away and you cannot do anything. And when he moves, your whole ego is shattered. You feel hurt. To protect that hurt ever happening, you start killing the husband or the wife. So they become just like cars and houses, dead things. This is the misery, though, that whenever you possess a person, he becomes a thing. But you wanted to love a person, not a thing. Because a thing can be possessed, but a thing cannot be responsive. You may love a thing, but the thing cannot answer your love. You may hug your car, but your car cannot hug you. You may kiss your car, but the kiss cannot be returned. I have heard about Picasso. A woman, a woman appreciator, a fan of Picasso's, once came to him and said, I saw your self-portrait in an art gallery. It is so beautiful and I became so possessed by it that I forgot completely and kissed the portrait. Picasso looked at the woman and said, Did the portrait return the kiss? The woman said, What are you asking? How can a portrait return the kiss? And Picasso said, Then that is not my portrait. How can a dead wife return the kiss? How can a dead husband return the kiss? This is the misery. If you want to possess, you kill. And the moment you have succeeded, the whole glory is lost, because now the other cannot respond. The other can respond only in freedom, but you cannot allow freedom because you are not in love. Love is never possessiveness. It cannot be. It is by its very nature. And not only loving a man or a woman. If you start loving a Buddha, you will repeat this whole thing. You will do the same. You will be possessive there also. That is why so many temples have been created. Possessiveness. Christians think Christ belongs to them. Christ cannot belong to anybody. But Christians think he belongs to them, and they are the possessors. Mohammedans think Muhammad belongs to them. You cannot draw a picture of Muhammad. You will be dragged to the court. You cannot make a statue of Muhammad, because Mohammedans won't allow. But who are these Mohammedans? How they became the possessors? They have turned Muhammad into a dead thing. Nobody can possess Muhammad. Nobody can possess Christ. They are so big and your hands are so small. They cannot be possessed. Love can never be possessed. It is such a vital force and such an infinite force and you are so tiny and so small, you cannot possess it. But Christians have their Christ. Mohammedans have their Muhammad. Hindus, their Krishnas. Buddhists, their Buddha. Among Jains, do I say that correctly? Jains? I don't know that religion. Jane, yeah. Amongst Jains, there are two communities. They have divided their Mahavira. There are a few temples in India. The temples belong to both communities, so there is always a fight and always cases in the courts because time division is there. In the morning, the Swetambars will worship. In the evening, the Dijambars, the other community, will worship. And they change because Swetambers put false eyes on the Mahavira statue, and Dijambers worship Mahavira with closed eyes, so they cannot worship the same statue. First they have to close the eyes or remove the false eyes, then only are they at ease. Then it is their Mahavira. But how well it can be yours or mine. Is Mahavira a thing, a house, a shop, a commodity? But lovers are false lovers. They are really possessors, not lovers. 
This has happened in religions so deeply that religion, rather than becoming a blessing to the world, has proved dangerous. Through this possessiveness, religion becomes the sect. Then you go on worshiping the dead thing and then nothing happens in your life. And when you think something is wrong with religion, nothing is wrong with religion. Mahavira could have transformed you. Krishna could have given you the light that he had, but you didn't allow him. Christ certainly could have become the salvation, but you didn't allow. Jews crucified him. And you, you have mummified him in the churches. Now he is a dead thing, good to worship, good to possess. But how can a dead Christ transform you? And the priest knows it very well. That is why I have come never to a priest who is a believer. Priests deep down always are unbelievers because they know the whole business and they know this Christ is dead. When they worshiped, when they worship, it is just a gesture for show. It happened once. It is a historic fact that in the year 19, oh, sorry, 999 on 31st December, there was a rumor all over the world, particularly in Christian communities, that the last day is coming on the 1st of January, the year 1000 on the 1st of January. The last day of judgment is coming and the world is going to be dissolved and everybody is going to face the divine. So on the 31st of December, 999, all the Christians all over the world closed their shops, closed their offices. People even distributed their things because the January 1st morning, there was going to be no world. People kissed and hugged each other, even went to their enemies to be forgiven. And there was totally different world that evening. Everything closed because tomorrow, there is going to be no future. So why be an en enemy? Why not love? Why not enjoy? People were celebrating. The last day is coming. All over the world, Christians closed everything. Only the offices of the Vatican in Rome were open because the Pope knows well, the priests know well, that this was not going to happen. This is just a superstition. And they created the whole thing. But not a single thing was distributed from the Pope. Priests are in the know. They know that Christ is dead, and you are a fool, and you are praying to a dead thing. But they cannot say to you, because that is a trade secret, and only through its exploitation is possible. And it is in their favor, because if Christ is alive, they cannot become the agents in between. And a live Christ will come directly to you. He will not allow a mediator, a broker. He will not allow it. Christ will not allow a priest to come and stand in between the lovers and himself. He will face them. He will come to you directly. So for priests, a live Christ is dangerous. Only a dead Christ is good. Priests never like Mahavira when he is alive. They never like Buddha when he is alive. They are always against when he is alive. When he is dead, they immediately come and organize around him, make a temple and start exploiting you. Priests are against Mahavira, Buddha, Krishna, but they know that when they are dead, their name can be exploited. But you have to remember well that your love, your prayer, your worship, if it becomes possessive, you are killing. If you kill Krishna, how can he transform you? How can he bring you to Krishna consciousness? Impossible. Now we should enter this story. It is beautiful. Hmm. But I think I need to stop reading. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. That, that's a good introduction to it. The black-nosed Buddha. Yeah. 
I think it's there's a lot there. I think it's really good. It's very subtle. It is. But I think those subtleties are very important. The difference between true love and attachment, loving out of fear. That's something that people do. Possessiveness and fear of death. Yeah. Those are big topics. And it's funny, we are being prepared for death. <laughs> it's, it's a dark way to look at it, but it is true. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's dark. I don't think he wants us to think of it as dark. He thinks that that's like the culmination of the life. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's the celebration. Well, let's end the podcast there. Okay. And we'll pick up with it later with more.